I heard a podcast the other day, and they're debating whether Snickers bar is the same as eating a piece of fruit. And I'm watching this thing, and the one guy's trying to make his case, and the other guy's making it. I'm like, seriously, what was common sense? Are you going to tell me that cell is looking at the Snicker bar as the same as eating an apple? Is that is that going to be the same exact function from that cell? And so that's where we got to start using common sense. If it's not good for my cell, then I probably shouldn't put it in my body. I don't care if it makes you lose weight or you look great or whatever, but if it's not good for the cell, I'm not putting it in my body. Welcome back to another Rest, Eat, Move podcast. It's Matt and Chris. We're doing part two. Part one was the annual physical. And if you didn't hear that one, I recommend listening to that first. We talked about developing the right team around you from a health professional team standpoint. We talked about you being the CEO of that team so you can play offense. The doctors, the surgeons, the nurses, they only have 12 minutes with you. So you got to set the tone. You got to know what you're trying, what outcome you're trying to have. And then we discussed knowing your numbers, the numbers that you should know. And today we're going to talk about how to improve those numbers. I think it's a lot easier to know the numbers. There's mail order tests that you can get. You can go to the doctor. There's a standard biometrical screenings and wearables. I think finding numbers is the easy part. The harder part is how to improve those numbers. And part one, we talked about the belief that you actually have control over those numbers. I would say that's part part one that's really critical if you're moving into part two, because you have to believe that you have control over these numbers versus traditional, maybe prescription medications. A couple housekeeping things. We got the 21 day eat challenge. Still folks going through that wherever you're at in the 21 days. If you've missed that, you want to start it, you can start it anytime. You go to our website click 21 days, register for free, and it starts the next day. If you're on our email, we have blogs that come out several times a week on different topics that are there forever. If you're looking for past blogs, they're at the bottom of our website called OTL, Ontario Living Blog. You'll see that at the bottom toolbar. If you get stuck along the way, there's a chat feature. Just send us a chat and we will send over a link to what you're looking for. One last thing, we're excited. We have a couple new products in. We've been trying to find Epsom salts for a long time that we believe are high quality, have some unique properties versus just traditional Epsom salts and bath salts that you can find at any grocery store. And we we're coming out with two different types of bath salts, a restorative blend and a energizing blend. The restorative blend is my favorite because I really use Epsom salts to relax recover, sleep better. Again, these just became available on our website if you're looking uh, for ways to recover. And then last thing, the wheatgrass tablets, if you've been looking for those, they're finally back in stock and we're ready to ship those. So part two, annual physical, asking better questions. But today's part two is about how to improve those numbers. And dad, I I would say this is probably your favorite thing to teach. I've done a presentation twice this week and I got the pleasure to do a three hour presentation where I could dive into the numbers and people that are actually in this space, whether they've had their numbers checked or they're on medications, you can just see that they realize 
wow, I didn't even know what I didn't know. And so today, let's talk about how to improve these numbers and how much control we actually have over these numbers. As, as we talk a lot about this, this conversation here, uh, again, just a quick review, you're developing your team. You, you really do have to take ownership. You can't give that ownership away. And so that's a big thing I always talk to my clients is you're not the doctor, you're not the health professional, but again, you can't give your ownership of your health away. So again, what do you, what do you, how are you approaching your visits, how you're approaching your health? Again, you got to be curious. And you just mentioned this. I was in Houston speaking this past week and the audience was very, I would say fidgety. I was the last speaker and it was a long day. And so I came in and I started out telling a story about AFib and instantly started getting the, the room just became instantly quiet. And it's all about this conversation we're having right now. It's, it's understanding that you can get all these testing, but what are you going to do about it? And the, and the question I, I, I raised was about AFib, and it's very common. But reality is, is what are you going to do about it? So again, we're going to talk about testing today and really get understand the basics. But next step is, is what are you going to do about it? And that's the big deal. Again, I can have my cholesterol checked or my glucose or whatever, but if I really don't understand what my strategy is, you will be medicated, and that's where we're at going today. We have the highest medications in the world, and we're not even the top 25% in, in healthcare. And so we're really not moving in a great direction with all this stuff. Yeah, we average 12.1 prescriptions over the age of 18 per year. And what you said is we're not even in the 25. Not in the top 25. Of health outcomes of any country. So we're spending the most, and we're very mediocre with outcomes. And I was listening to a podcast the other day on the two, the two countries in the world that pharmaceuticals are allowed to advertise is the United States and New Zealand. But if you really dive into New Zealand, they have the least amount of money spent on pharmaceuticals. So they're really doing a really good job of not only educating, but not just pushing the pharmaceuticals. They're advertising, but there's a lot of education that comes with that versus ours is just the opposite. So you can do it in a great way. We're, we're not a against pharmaceuticals, but that in most cases is not fixing the source of the problem. So that's where I want to begin today. And could lead to other side effects and other issues. And next thing you know, you're asking all these questions or you're wondering, how did I get here? But yet we're going to bypass probably the true reason. And again, it's not side effects, it's effects. We're, we're having these effects from these pharmaceuticals. So again, don't think you're not going to have an effect by taking some pharmaceutical. Where do we start? We're going to start with a big one. We'll start with cholesterol. And again, I had a conversation with a guy last night on my way home from the airport. And as much as we talk about this, I still believe people think they want to lower their cholesterol. Cholesterol is not the big bad wolf. We have a we have a a blog on it. If you want to learn more about it, go into the weeds. It's called "Don't Be Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf." Number one is understanding cholesterol is a good thing. It heals the body. It's great for the brain. Every cell in the human body transports vitamins and minerals. It makes your hormones. It's the raw material that makes your, your, your stress and your sex or building hormones. Step one on cholesterol is you do not want to lower it. You want to have your cholesterol level to be high. And the second conversation is you want your cholesterol level to be high in balance. When you look at your cholesterol level, the big two things you want to take away is your, your cholesterol to HDL ratio for men, and you want it to be 4.5 or less, and women 3.5 or less. If your cholesterol is too 
40 and your HDL is 80, you're going to have a ratio of three, which is fantastic. That's a thriving cholesterol. And the reality is most people think they want to lower it. And the other one you want to know is your triglyceride to HDL ratio. So if your triglycerides are 150, your HDL is 50, you have a ratio of three. You want that number to be less than two. So those are the two big ones you want to get right away. And then you're saying, okay, now if my cholesterol is out of balance or I want to maintain it or improve it, I got to understand that the power of omega-3 fats, that's flax seeds, that's chia seeds, and one of our favorite is cod liver oil. So when you start bringing these healthy omega-3 fats to the party, and then you're drinking water and you're doing all that kind of stuff, getting your cell healthy, your cholesterol actually can improve. It can actually go up, but be in greater balance. When you think about cholesterol itself, we always talk about there's nobody that needs to be on a cholesterol-lowering medication unless they've had a heart attack. So for those of you out there on a cholesterol medication to lower it, I'm here to tell you by working with your physician, you can get off that cholesterol medication because I've never seen anybody in my career working with their doctor not get off their cholesterol medication. So if that's the issue, you really want to get off it because again, it's going to have side effects or effects, then that's the step. You start with your omega-3 fats, you start taking a look at what you're drinking, what you're eating, but it's very easy to improve your balance of your cholesterol. Why do women tend to have higher HDL naturally? And, and you see that in the cholesterol ratio is you really want that ratio to be lower in women because for the most part, they tend to have naturally higher I think the other HDL. thing too we want to make a point of is that when you look at your cholesterol and your cholesterol, total cholesterol goes up, generally that's going to drag your LDL and your HDL up. In general, women have a higher total cholesterol, which generally will have a higher HDL cholesterol and a higher LDL cholesterol. So don't think you need to lower your LDL when the reality is it's all about creating that balance. And that's really the takeaway today is you want your cholesterol to be in balance. HDL, LDL, total cholesterol. And really the way to improve that is changing your lifestyle. Yeah, and the sad the sad part is is the norms and the numbers that they go off of, they don't really look if you're male, female. And they're not looking at other factors. We know 70% of all heart attacks occur with normal cholesterol levels. So you got to scratch your head and say, wait a minute, why are we so concerned about lowering cholesterol when there's other factors? And that's why we said at the very beginning, you need to understand your total risk. And that's why we are a real fan of the know your numbers. Just give that to your doctor or your health professional. And that's, you want to get your whole portfolio so you can really understand your risk. Yeah, and again, you got to take the accountability to say that I want to change it. I, I had a question yesterday, and the question is, so I get these numbers. My number is going to be, if your total cholesterol is above 200 and you have a very conservative, traditional doctor, they're going to want to put you on a satin medication or at least start to have a conversation. In our opinion, that's not where you would begin. And so you have to ask the question, what's my ratio? What's my triglyceride HDL ratio? I'm trying to do some lifestyle-related things. What do I need to do to not go down this, these, these stat medications? If the doctor says you don't have any control, it's genetics. We either ask for a different doctor or we have to continue to ask better questions. If you have a genetic tendency of having high cholesterol, but your ratio's in balance, the numbers we're going to talk about in a little bit are in balance. Again, it comes down to risk. And, and some people have high cholesterol, some people have low. Some people tend to have better digestion, worse digestion. It, we're all different, but it doesn't mean that it, it's a risk. 
And I think that's the thing is understanding that when women are pregnant, they don't test cholesterol because cholesterol is going to be super high and it's making a new life. When women are going through menopause, they don't test cholesterol. Yeah. And at the end of life, all of us, our, our cholesterol will drop. So cholesterol is a thriving raw material. I call it the raw material to make these hormones. So again, for many men, I don't think they'd want to sign up if they thought that would lower their testosterone level. Hence, it might cause them to have other effects like erectile dysfunction, but they're not taught this stuff. And so when I- Or you know, sleep issues or, or sleep issues, or, or, yeah, nerve, or I got increased belly issues. fat and the list goes on and on. So that's why you don't want to mess with the bear because the bear, which is cholesterol, is making life. And we want to thrive, not just survive. So that's why, again, mindset number one is you- have to understand that cholesterol is amazing. You want it high in balance. And then from there, you say to yourself, okay, what is my total cholesterol to HDL? And what is my triglyceride to HDL? And those are two great ratios to give you understand your balance. Yeah. One of the, I would say most common side effects that's very unusual for a statin is achy muscles and leg pain. And, and you have to ask the question, why? we got to go back again to what cholesterol is really trying to do. It's trying to heal the body. And if let's just say you have inflammation and you don't have the cholesterol there to support it because the cholesterol is essential. And so if you're blocking it, next thing you know, you're going to probably have lack of ability to, to heal and repair. And the other thing too, when you think about cholesterol itself, you know, one of the most powerful antioxidants for the heart is called CoQ10. Think about that, everybody. The most powerful antioxidant to make the heart healthy is called CoQ10. And we naturally produce CoQ10. It comes from the liver. But when you take a cholesterol level, cholesterol medication, the cholesterol medication blocks CoQ10. So now I block the most powerful antioxidant for the heart. And now in, the, in Canada, you are prescribed, if you're if prescribed a statin medication to lower cholesterol, you're prescribed CoQ10. In the United States, if you are on a statin med, everybody, make sure you're taking a supplement of CoQ10 because your body is blocking wow. it. So, and your body naturally makes it, but when you take a statin med, it blocks it. So that's how crazy, we're not really looking at the whole picture. It will lower your cholesterol level, but that's not going to make you thrive. So that's why we're really adamant about you can get the feel that we're not a big fan of uh, statin medications unless you've had a heart attack or maybe you're not interested in changing your lifestyle. I don't think that's the case if you're listening to this podcast. All right. So takeaways for the cholesterol profile, which includes the triglycerides because we talked about the ratio. Triglycerides are a mirror of how you eat. You clean up your diet. You make the upgrades. If you're on the 21-day challenge, your triglycerides are going to improve. You really want to get that under 100 under 110, and it's a mirror of how you eat. Number two, you're trying to change your cholesterol. It's going to take a little bit of time. What would you say, 60, 90 days where we yeah. start to see some you changes? You start seeing some changes. I always tell people in about three months, you're going to see major, some major changes. So that's why if you're if getting you're a consistent. blood test, yeah, if you're getting a blood test in January, you get another blood test in June, and generally it doesn't take much longer. If somebody's on a statin med, let's just say they're on 40 milligrams of Crestor or Lipitor or whatever, the goal is you're never jumping off a of med, but the goal is talking to your, your doctor and say, okay, here's the deal. I'm on 40 milligrams. I want to cut it to 20. And then from 20 to 10, and that's really how I've worked with people along, over the years, that that's how they've weaned themselves off, working with their doctor and getting off. And so for most people, it will be six months or less 
getting off a of cholesterol medication. And the omega-3s are a big deal because it's going to lower the inflammation. It's going to have some of the raw material to help to s- support that cholesterol foundation. And selenium and zinc is a big one for improving your cholesterol profile. That's Brazil nuts, pumpkin seeds. So when you put this all together, cod liver oil, you start seeing these changes. I'm eating oatmeal in the morning. It starts to... And one last thing, cholesterol in your skin helps to absorb vitamin D3. So let's just say you're on a statin medication. Next thing, your vitamin D3 is low. You're supplementing. It's just a, it's a train wreck. It's a roller coaster that we start to play whack-a-mole. And next thing, we're, we got several different issues at the same time. And, I, and, I, and you hit it right in the head. I don't think people would be that excited to take these medications if they knew the effects that would happen. I don't, I, and that's what I, when I educate my clients about this stuff, they're like, I've never, I was never told this. I said, this is the symptoms you're seeing. Well, that's, the, this, is how, this is how I believe that we're getting a little bit too loose. And it's the same way why people think carbs are bad. It's easy to just say, I don't eat carbs. It's easy to say, I need to keep my cholesterol. Or it's easy to say, that's going to increase my cholesterol. Those, for whatever reason, those are common beliefs. You get a life insurance test. This is, this is a story I tell often. You go get a life insurance blood test to qualify for life insurance. Based on that blood test, you're going to have a premium or you're going to be in a category. And one of the tests that they do is cholesterol. If you're above 200, you get this red, red flag. I'm, when I got some of my life insurance, I would say a couple years ago, I'd have been 35, 34 years old. My Total cholesterol was 205, but my HDL was high and my ratio was perfect and my triglycerides were low, but I got a red flag. In that case, it didn't really change my premium, but it's just one of those things where it's an annoyance because red's bad, green's good, check mark. No, there's more to the equation of how the body's working than just one number in isolation. It's if your BMI is okay but your skin's a mess, your digestion's a mess, you're not healthy because your BMI's okay. And it's the same thing with cholesterol. Just because it's elevated and you don't have a full portfolio of connecting the dots doesn't mean that it's something that's bad. But the thing we're, we're, we're fighting against is that that's going on everywhere. And so if you're not educated in the space, again, we can't give the ownership away of our health, then you're going to think, oh, I got to do something to lower it. And that could be a medication. That's not the answer at all. So I think that's why we're doing this. And we do this over and over because even though we talk a lot about, people still have the mindset. When I was talking to this group in Houston, and these are smart people, when I brought that know your numbers up on there, you could hear a pin drop. They're like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. These are smart people. We're not taught this stuff. That are going to see their doctor and they, they need to know this information. Let's move from that. It's, again, if you want to go deep into the weeds, blog, The Big Bad Wolf on cholesterol. We give you the tactics. The book is a great resource. And there's, I think we've probably done 10, 15 podcasts just on cholesterol. Let's go to glucose, hemoglobin A1C. These are uh, markers for diabetes, prediabetes, how the cell is functioning. Um, what do we need to know here? I think one of the things that's poking me is that all these commercials about Gozempic and those, the family of those diabetes meds, they're helping you lose weight. I was in the airport and I was listening to. Was yeah, they're very by. smart. They're talking, the oh, side gosh. effect is that you'll lose 15 pounds. Yeah, here's, That's very guaranteed, intentional. Guaranteed, 15 pounds in the first month. You know, and I'm listening to this stuff. I'm like, wow, this is everywhere. Everybody gets it. Everybody wake up. We do not want to take these medications for type 2 diabetes. Diabetes, type 2, not type 1, 
but type 2 is a disease of the cell. As the cell membrane gets rock hard, like an M&M candy shell, it's very difficult for the insulin to open up the cell to feed it glucose. Hence, my glucose goes up. And Matt was mentioning A1C. That measures your glucose over 6 to 12 weeks over a period of time. That's why it's a more powerful number. And that number needs to be less than 5.5. When that number starts to creep up, we talk about prediabetes. Reality is the cell's not healthy. If you're saying, okay, what is type 2 diabetes? It's not a it's not a disease of sugar. I'm eating too many fruits. That's not it. And one of the strategies they have you do for type 2 diabetes is you got this Ozempic and all these different, or they're going to put you on a keto diet, which is a no-carb diet. In reality, that's going to drop your glucose, but it's not fixing the problem. The problem's the cell. Again, back to what makes the cell soft and permeable is hydration, is omega-3 fats. It's how we eat, our stress levels. Our daily movement, when we move daily, that's why when I was listening to some of these podcasts and people are talking about, oh, I only need to move for four minutes a day. Wait a minute. One of the benefits of movement, it makes the cell more absorbable to uh, insulin, which opens it up for the glucose. So again, that's how you, so not only type 2 diabetes is preventable, but it's reversible. The other thing I like to look at when I look at someone's glucose A1C it is telling us about function. If, if I was talking to a room of people my age that don't have type 2 diabetes, but they may have an elevated blood sugar A1C and it keeps creeping up over the years, we're not going to be functioning the right way. Uh, you look at somebody's eyes and you can see those vessels starting to decrease the capacity way before these numbers are going to show. So Again, that's function. Now, type 3 diabetes is when you have the vessels in your eyes aren't, aren't working, and now you need some other situations or in the brain. So function is part of this equation, too. So I can look at someone's cholesterol and A1C and some of these other numbers, and I can really determine function. Now, you may be in the norms, and you may not have disease, and you may not even be medicated, but function. And that's, that's why I know your numbers isn't just always about I just want to get off my medications. It's a, it's a, it's some information and data points to tell us how are we functioning. If you want to have peak energy, if you want to have to be as as fit and metabolically active, we want to have these glucose and A one C numbers in alignment too. Yeah, because if you're if you're all over the board, you're not going to have good energy. So the goal is to, how do I stabilize my blood glucose level? If you have a stable blood glucose level during the day, you're going to have great energy. So we talk about cell health, and we probably should talk about it a lot more. We talked about it, I would say, in the, 10 years ago, a lot more as people had maybe a, a larger attention span. But how do you know if someone's cells are functioning right? That's probably the reason you haven't heard about cell health. It's not on your wearable. It's not on a nutritional fact. One of the ways that we can look at your cell health is look right here at the glucose. If you have a glucose of 105 and your A1C is 5.7, don't have good cell function. Yeah, your cell is moving in a bad direction. And that's why when you start hydrating, omega-3 fats, daily movement, that's why it's reversible. And as you mentioned, it's not just, but you can look in the eyeball. When we're talking to Doc Peters, he's an optometrist, really close friend of mine. But when you look at the eyes, type 2 diabetes shows up way before it shows up in a blood test. So what you're saying, in the extremities, in your feet, or in your eyes, again, one of the effects is now we're going to have bad circulation. We lose proprioception, which is balance. 
We start having all sorts of issues with our eyes. And then all of a sudden it shows up in a blood test. What's it been talking to you for a while? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're starting to get that purple ankle where the the hairs aren't growing and it's dry and that in type two diabetes a lot. But the doctor hasn't talked about type two diabetes and you haven't had this showing up. It's showing up and it's a wrecking ball. Yeah. It's a wrecking ball for your health, not only for your heart, but everywhere. Extremities, circulation. Uh, organs, you name it, it's a wrecking ball. And the, and the last thing about type 2 diabetes, because it's not only, as we mentioned, reversible and obviously preventable, but we need to wake up as a society. Type 2 diabetes in 1960, one in 4,000 people had it. Today, that number is about one in seven, one in six, and it's trending. Look to your left, look to your right. People are going to have type 2 diabetes, and we're seeing it at such young ages today. So it, it, it costs the system so much in medical expenses, but more than that, it co- is costing us lives. Quality too. Yeah, we have a, again, we have a series on this, eight-part series that could go real deep. But as we talk about the cell, let's talk about the cell and what to do, because we're talking about how to improve it. So you have elevated glucose, or you're worried about it, family history, why, however you're worried about it, we have to make that cell healthier. So let's talk about the cell Let's talk about the cell membrane specifically. When you look at a cell, let's, let's say there's three parts of it, which there's not. There's a lot more. It's very complex. But there's a cell membrane. There's stuff inside that cell floating around. And then there's this thing called the nucleus in the center of the cell. That cell membrane, from what we teach, is the most important part of the cell because we have control over how, it, how that part of the cell is functioning and it leads to the health of everything past that cell membrane. So what, what is the cell membrane made of? So when you think of the cell membrane, as I mentioned earlier, it's like an M&M candy shell. You want it to be soft and permeable. And we, the, we really weren't aware of the cell membrane until in the last, I think, 25 to 30 years because it was so thin. It's like, a, it's like a, the thinnest skin you could possibly imagine. And so it's just this cell membrane, and it's, and, it's, and it's constantly in change. And so think about that. The softer it is, the more absorbable, more permeable it is. And so it's really, it, as we mentioned earlier, it really is the light switch. So we have this thing called epigenetics, which is above genetics. And the cell membrane is the epigenetic switch. That's why when people say, I got cancer and heart disease and things lurking inside my nucleus, because we all have it. It's the cell membrane, is a, it's the orchestrator, it's the boss, it's the, the leader. And so when the cell membrane gets in shape and healthy, then that has better communication throughout the entire cell. And that's why the cell membrane is so important. And so when you get that cell membrane, if you're dehydrated, you're not going to have a good cell membrane. If you're drinking beverages that cause that cell membrane, like energy drinks or soda pop or too much alcohol, that's going to gum it up. And then if you looked at processed foods, especially like this thing back in the day, we talked about trans fats. That's why they're so deadly is because trans fats make that cell hard. As you clean up your diet, the cell membrane starts to get softer and softer and softer. And that's one of the benefits of consuming foods high in chlorophyll, which is greens. That's like scrubbing bubbles for the cell. And then you put the omega-3 fats in there, and that's how it starts to Here's improve. the interesting part. The cell membrane is made of omega-3 essential fatty acids, and cholesterol. 
you let's go a, back. You take a stat medication to block cholesterol. You're not consuming enough omega threes. Next thing you know, we went from a cholesterol medication. Now we're on a diabetes medication. Yeah, I mean, the human body is so smart, and we just have to understand how it works. And that's why we have the three principles, cellular health, pH balance, and the source. And when you get, if you can say yes to all three, all these numbers are going to improve. Yeah, that's why a carnivore diet or a ketogenic diet or a energy drink that has no sugar at the cell level, the body's not going to function long term. And again, we always talk about this. I heard a podcast the other day and they're debating whether Snickers bar is the same as eating a piece of fruit. And I'm watching this thing and the one guy's trying to make his case, the other guy's making it. I'm like, seriously, what's common sense? Are you going to tell me that cell is looking at the Snicker bar is the same as eating an apple? Is that, is that going to be the same exact function from that cell? And so that's where we got to start using common sense. If it's not good for my cell, then I probably shouldn't put it in my body. I don't care if it makes you lose weight or you look great or whatever, but if it's not good for the cell, I'm not putting it in my body. And that's why a synthetic isolated nutrient, the cell doesn't know what to do with it the same way it does if it's in something like food. And so that's why I was just here. There's a lot of studying being done about peptides and how, how much they can increase muscular strength and all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, you start to try to create these things in a lab and, and the, the body's going to do something with it. But we believe, and one of the things we try to teach is the closer you go to the source, the body's going to know what to do. With and the other thing too, you said this a little bit earlier in the podcast that as you get healthier, let's just, just let's start with the cell. Get the cell healthier. Imagine what, it's gonna, what your skin's going to look like. So now my skin's better. My hair's better. Of course, you're getting healthier at the your cell nails are growing. level. Yeah, yeah, cell level. So when people say, I'm not losing weight yet, what's your skin looking like? Yeah, it's good. This and hey, everything starts to get better. So that's where your health begins. It begins at the cellular level and it begins at the cell membrane. And inside the cell is this thing called the mitochondria, and that's your energy. And so when I'm feeding, back to what I'm feeding the body, and then inside that is the nucleus, which is your RNA and DNA. And again, everybody has their genetics. And that's why lifestyle controls the cell membrane, which then enhances if you're, you're letting things out and letting things in and letting things out, the mitochondria starts to function like a real good engine. And then the, that nucleus starts to actually change. Actually, and talking there's to there's a great book called Biology of Beliefs that are our habits can change. Yeah. Dr. Lipton in that book, when you first read that, he kept talking about, hey, stupid, it's the environment. It is the environment. The cell is the environment. Once the cell environment gets better, everything gets better. All right. Obviously, that's a big area. Let's talk about these two numbers, not quickly, but homocysteine and high sense of C-reactive protein. These will be the first numbers we're talking about that there's not a prescription medication and you probably most likely, if you haven't heard us talk about it before, have never seen these numbers on your blood test. So homocysteine is a oxidation marker. High sensitive C-reactive protein is an inflammation marker. These are what we call the other 33 percenters of cardiovascular risk. So let's just say cholesterol profile is a risk factor for cardiovascular risk. We're going to throw it at 
So there's still 66% of a risk factor that most people are not aware of. These are the two. Homocysteine, high-sensitive C-reactive protein. Homocysteine is a measure of oxidation. Everybody's heard of antioxidants, but we just take it for granted. We know antioxidants are good. I'm looking at the bookshelf over there with all those colors. It's like food. Any food with colors, we know that those, are, those are, have antioxidant properties, unless it's in a box and they've put some dyes into it. Those are not antioxidants. But high oxidation creates high risk. Think about internal rust. Your car starts to rust, things are going to start to break, specifically at the vessel level, at the cell level. The body starts to have some issues. Oxidation, for most people, they have no idea what their oxidation level is because there's no medication. So you have to ask for this test. It's the same blood. They just have to check the box. When there's not a medication for a number, they don't test it because of liability. So you have to be that CEO, that offensive uh, mindset. And let's talk about homocysteine for a second, how to improve it, what, what we're looking for there. All right, so step back for a second. What did you just say? I don't you, remember. You just, said, you just said that if there's no medication for it, they're not going to test it most likely. No, I, I'll tell you why I know this. I was working with a local lab. And this woman heard me speak that is the head of this lab, this Know Your Numbers lab. And from a marketing standpoint, they want you into the system. So they want to do your biometric screening. And if they can help you, they want to help you. And I said, the problem is, is there's not really a good protocol for these Know Your Numbers. You get the cholesterol, you get the traditional stuff. And so she was like, yeah, this is, a, this is we have to do this. And she, knew, and she knows about these numbers. She's studying them. So we started going down the path. I said, this is what I think people should know. Testosterone, homocysteine, high sense of C-reactive protein. And so we went down the path. You then have to take that, and you have to take that information. You have to get it approved by the chief of the hospital or the healthcare system or whoever is going to ensure that they're covering you. And she said, if you want to test somebody's homocysteine and high sense of C-reactive protein, you're going to have to have a doctor read that lab, and that doctor, if those numbers come back, are now responsible for that patient. This project got squashed so fast because you start to realize cholesterol. To check cholesterol as easy as it is, if you think about it, it's checked at a high percentage. Everybody gets it checked. There's a reason for it. Yes. The pharmaceuticals want you to. Yes. More people can now take the medication. It's easy. And... The liability is limited because there's a medication. And so you say, Correct. Yes. Mr. Johnson, you have high cholesterol. We told you we'd recommend and we write you right. a prescription. If you don't take that, that's up to you. But our liability, our hands are washed. We're done. If we measure your homocysteine, and let's just say it's 30, and next week you have a cardiovascular incident, we never called you, we're going to get sued. So again, I get I, that's my point. I wanted so to make this, sure everybody caught a, that. This is a challenge, and there's other numbers that hormones and some other numbers that are becoming very challenging because of the liability. So you have to dig in a little bit here, everybody, and you got to demand that you need to understand what your risk is. And as Matt mentioned, there's no medications for this. That is there's that's food for it. That's food for it. Move food is medicine. When you think about homocysteine, as he mentioned, it's rust, and it's a big risk factor for cancer and heart disease. 
And the first thing you have to understand is what lowers that oxidation. And so when I sit down with people right away, this is why they need to make sure they're consuming carbohydrates because most your B vitamins are coming from carbohydrates. B, if you think about B9, that's folate, not folic acid, that's greens. The higher the greens are, the more it drops your homocysteine and any an antioxidants. So then you go to B6s. Most antioxidants are most, carbohydrates. Most by carbohydrates the way. Are, are antioxidants. And then if you go to B6s, those include bananas, beans, cabbage, cauliflower, potatoes, oatmeal, millet, teff. So now if I'm cutting those out, that's your B6s. And then we move into, you got, now we got the B12s. And so when you, when everybody just understand, if you're really trying to improve your homocysteine level, eat colorful fruits and vegetables, eat your healthy carbohydrates, and this will lower your homocysteine. And I tell a story way back in the day. I had a woman at the Michigan Athletic Club and she was a very fit 50 year old, beautiful uh, woman, very fit. And she came to see me because her sister had heart issues. And so she was concerned about that. So I said, hey, before we do anything, get your know your numbers. So this is, a, this is quite a few years ago. I get her know your numbers and your homocysteine level ideally should be less than 10. Hers is 34. So I get it back right away. And I said to her, you have a really exceptionally high homocysteine level. She never heard that before. Doctor never tested before. Cholesterol is in great shape. Triglycerides are low. The list goes on. But her homocysteine was 34. And so we started talking about her eating plan. And she doesn't eat really any carbohydrates. This is way back in the day. All protein. But she looks amazing. So I said, we, we need to bring some carbs into the diet. She never came back. Didn't want to hear what I said. Wasn't interested in that. I'm going to follow the plan. And unfortunately, she had a heart attack two years later at age 53. She survived the heart attack. But it hit me right then that why, for this woman, why didn't nobody ever talk about her risk? Because her doctor poo-pooed it. Yeah, you can get your homocysteine. But that hit me right in the forehead way back in the day that this is a huge risk factor, especially for women. And if, and if risk factor isn't the right word, it's, again, back to this thing called function. Function, like, yes. It's one thing to just live a long life, but it's another thing to function for a long life. And... um that's why, that's why this information. So homocysteine. So if greens, homocysteine is high, you're, most, most people have a very acidic diet. Too acidic. They're drinking too much alcohol, too much soda pop. Not eating enough. Not eating enough. Or they're eating high protein, high fat, no carbs. So again, I already know if a person's not eating a, a really high quality diet when their homocysteine is as elevated. Yep. And then high sensitive C-reactive protein. This measures chronic inflammation which there's so much information on inflammation today and how it leads to all this disease and illness, but it's still not part of the curriculum because there's not a medication that you can take for chronic inflammation. There's a ton of medication for acute inflammation that are very damaging to the body, anti-inflammatories, Advil, ibuprofen, even some of these very heavy medicines. But to change your home, your chronic inflammation, high sense of CRP, there's no medication. But again, you should know this. It's going to tell you how much heat is happening in the body. And when you think of inflammation, everybody just remember acid equals inflammation. Root cause of every disease known in the human race is based on too much inflammation. So when you think about inflammation itself, one of the things we talk a lot about is you need to get rid of your anti-inflammatories. They kill the gut. 
And so if you have a bee sting, you get a toothache, not a problem. But chronic day in and day out taking these anti-inflammatories kills your health. So one of the greatest ways to decrease inflammation is healthy fats. Changing your diet. So when you look at some of these things, what do I need to do to decrease inflammation? You just talked about Epsom salts, getting massage, stretch, make sure you're getting enough sleep. There's lots of ways to lower inflammation, doing foam rollers, stretching, the list goes on and on. But staying hydrated, these things all are lowering your inflammation. When you have chronic inflammation, your answer is not taking anti-inflammatories. Yeah, and actually, we'll, again, back to the fact that will lead down the path. Do you want to talk about, I know we talked about prostate and thyroid. Let's talk, let's, let's skip prostate for this segment. The only thing I tell people for, for the fellows out there, just make sure you're getting your prostate physically checked once you hit 50 because you want to see the spacing of the growth of, of the, the prostate. So that's really the big one there. But it's, it's no different than when we're talking about today. Healthy fats, changing your diet, understanding stress, they all affect your prostate. Let's talk about thyroid. It's growing. It's a challenge. A lot of people are taking thyroid-stimulating hormones. Many people get their thyroid removed. 40% of the country is obese. Thyroid supports your metabolism. Where do we begin with thyroid? I want everybody to think of the thyroid as a kind of a stress marker. So if you're not getting enough rest and rejuvenation, when you think about the United States, compare this to other countries around the world, we have the highest thyroid problems in the world and probably is the pace of our life. When I sit down with men and women, they have to understand that when the thyroid, again, back to the adrenals, the adrenals get shot, and the next thing you know, you're burned out, you're this or that, and your thyroid, and now you're taking armor thyroid or, or whatever it might be, and it affects your metabolism, affects your weight, affects kind of everything. It really gets back to understanding how powerful hormones are and why stress, when the stress button's on, you're probably not going to have a healthy thyroid. So that's why I always call the thyroid is the, your 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 rest rejuvenation marker. Are you getting enough of that? And that's where you begin. And then from there, you can talk about iodine. You can talk about eating high quality foods. We talk about wheatgrass and spirulina corella, but you really begin with understanding getting enough rest. Which is elusive and you can't see it. Yeah. And, and again, I, I had a couple women at this event in Houston. We did an event yesterday morning and they came up and they started talking about gut health. But you know, if they're having gut health issues, their stress levels are probably high, which is probably going to lead to thyroid issues down the road. So it just keep connecting the dots. So it's all if, connected. If the stress is out of control, gut's going to be under not so good, and then you're probably going to have thyroid issues as as time goes on. Let's talk briefly about vitamin D. So the sun, we need to get outside more. We're right now. I'm looking outside. It's snowing. It's cold. There's no sun. But still, there is some sun, so getting outside, no matter where you live, obviously protecting your skin from the UVs and all that kind of stuff is important, too. A lot of supplementation around vitamin D3. I think it's one of the most recommend, recommended vitamins that people are prescribed, but again, most of that is going to be, I would say all of that is going to be made in a lab. It's, it's synthetic, man-made vitamin D. That's synthetic vitamin D is very difficult to absorb. And the dosages are so extreme. Because they know they, you just need to consume, get some, but you need to consume a lot. And I like what some. you said earlier, too. No matter where you live, 
you need to get outside, especially in the morning. But every day, it's not only good for your, your vitamin D, but it's just good for your melatonin. It's good for your brain. It's good for your eyes. It's good for everything. Just getting outside makes you come alive. And again, you said this earlier, it's, it's not just the one thing. It's, I want to be thriving, but that's the big one right there is just getting outside. And then that's that's why we recommend cod liver oil over the fish and the krill because it is the only food source for vitamin D3. Now, don't compare vitamin D3 and cod liver oil to your synthetic supplement from an IU standpoint because they're different. One's, one is made naturally and one, so, one's made in the lab. So again, why don't you tell the listeners, why is our cod liver oil unique? Because I was explaining that yesterday and people were like, oh, I already take fish oil. Well, cod specifically is is a more sustainably caught fish versus a sardine or anchovy, which is fish oil. And then krill is a crustacean. Not that these things are bad. They're just not they're not gonna be as I would say healthy. Krill is gonna be the most toxic in the sense of it goes rancid the quickest. Fish isn't gonna have the vitamin D three and cod liberal is gonna have vitamin D three. Our cod's Specifically, which is caught in the Pacific Ocean versus the Atlantic Ocean, the way that the fishermen catch the cod is they freeze the cod on the boat. The livers are frozen, and so it it slows down. It doesn't completely stop, but it slows down the oxidation process, which holds on to these naturally occurring vitamins and nutrients. Now, each each batch of cod has a little bit different variation. Right now, our our cod coming in for a next batch has lower vitamin A than it the last batch, you could try to figure out why, but that's not the point. A broccoli or... It's live. It's, it's di- living. different. Or our wheatgrass. If our you've ever grass. had our wheatgrass, sometimes it's sweet, sometimes it's not. Um, so there's variation, but because of how they catch it, because of where it's located, um, because of how it's minimally processed, all those things lead to more nutrients, one of them being vitamin D3. So that's, it's good to know though, because people just don't understand that. They're just taking, I'm taking a gel tablet. I go, no, that's not, that's not yeah, the same. Yeah, and you'll see a lot of fish oils where they add the vitamin D3 back. It tastes not very good. So they have to heat it up more than ours is heated up. And so heating up anything, you can make it. And again, taste it gets good. back to the source. It's coming from the source, which creates high levels of D3 naturally. Ways that I tell people to get vitamin D3, focus on the sun and cod liver oil. And I would, I would put, I put down the vitamin D3 supplement. And, and I've seen that personally for my own. My D3 was never really that high, but ever since I've been doing, and I really try to be cognitive about getting outside, but you know, my D3 now is hovering in the mid fifties and it never was really in the fifties. And I don't take any vitamin D3 supplement except the cod liver oil. All right, let's talk about testosterone and we'll round the corner here. The longevity marker, testosterone and hormones in general, I really am a fan of knowing how your chemicals are messaging, which are your hormones, your endocrine system. But testosterone's like the, I wouldn't call it the holy grail, but I've call it the longevity marker, which I think everybody wants to know how they're aging. There's free testosterone and there's total testosterone. Free testosterone is what's floating in the body currently, what's active, and then total is your reservoir. We really like to focus on total. There's some time and purpose where maybe you'd want to look at free a little bit closer. I I like that analogy though. It's the reservoir. Yeah. What can we tap into? Women need to know their testosterone and men definitely need to know their testosterone. 
we like to say women have to have a testosterone over 30 and men over 40 unless you're 400 or 500 unless you're really really i would say older but everyone listening 400 ma- men 30 women and i don't even consider 400 yeah, it's not really that it's high. not really thriving no but it's better than the 280 yeah so again it the norms are considered for men 250 up to 1,000. And so I had a guy I was training the other day, and his testosterone was 798, and they wanted to know what he was taking. I'm like, you're just having a thriving testosterone. So you said it. It's, a, it's the way the body is talking back to you from a how, you, how are you aging. And I always ask that question, how, would you would like to know how you're aging? And so, again, it gets back to similar to the thyroid. If your stress levels are high, you're probably not going to have a good testosterone level. Here's how I look at it also. So let's just say someone's not on a statin medication yet, but the doctor's trying to have a conversation that your cholesterol is elevating. You definitely should know what your testosterone is because they're connected. So here's how this works. If your cholesterol is, for some reason, elevating, it's probably trying to heal the body. I'm guessing at the same point, your testosterone is decreasing. So what it's trying to really do is it's trying to balance the whole body out. So next thing you know, if you don't look at testosterone, you take a statin medication, that testosterone is going to continue to plummet. And next thing you know, three years down the road, they're saying, well, we don't like your testosterone. We're going to put you on a hormonal replacement. They're connected. And if you can get your testosterone to elevate naturally, that cholesterol doesn't have to work as hard. And so it will rebalance. And cholesterol makes testosterone. And the, the best thing I ever heard about cholesterol, which connects to testosterone, whatever your cholesterol is at this moment when you test it, is what your body needs it to be. Now, that could mean that your body's under a lot of dis, disrepair, and that can lead to risk. If you've got too much inflammation and your vessels are working too hard and your heart rate and all that kind of stuff, it's a, it's a, it's a puzzle. But testosterone's a big piece. It's huge. And again, if your testosterone is not where you want it to be, you're not going to be thriving. And it's a thriving hormone. So it's the it's it's like when people are trying to lose weight, I'll tell this to men and women, it's almost like you're going uphill. You're having that battle uphill because it's gonna be hard for you to lose weight when your testosterone level is so low. It's the lean hormone. So you're not gonna be as energized. You're not gonna be as energized, you're not gonna have the same muscle, you're not gonna have all of that. So again, that's why you need to know that testosterone level at an early age. And you said this last week in the podcast, maybe age 20, you get your testosterone level and then you wait five more years and you get it checked. But along the way, you can know what your testosterone is the norm for you. And, and we talked about this years ago at 55, my testosterone level dropped 200 points. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting down with you and I'm like kind of frustrated. And you said, dad, you're working too hard. You've been gone 21 straight days on the road. You've been gone 18 straight days on the road. And I'm like, you're right. I'm in different hotels, different time zones. You're in those airports. Those are fun. Yeah. So then I changed that and my testosterone level came right back. I've had people that I've worked with. So again, just make a point here that you can raise your testosterone level naturally. I had one guy that raised his testosterone 130 points in nine months. Changed how his workout was. We changed his strength training workout. We got him out of these boot camps. We... Started looking at his sleep, set his sleep in six hours. We moved to try, try to get up to seven and a half. We added some selenium and zinc, some omega-3 and omega-6 fats. And his testosterone came back 130 points. And his doctor, and the reason he came to see him in the first place, because they wanted to put him on hormone replacement. And at 54, he felt like he was too young for that. 
testosterone, sleep number one, always number one. (laughs) Number two is going to be your omega-3 fats. It's the raw material to help with cholesterol, which connects with your steroidal hormones, which you can see how this goes. Selenium and zinc, so pumpkin seeds, Brazil nuts, different ways to get selenium and zinc. Epsom salts could even help you because they're going to help you sleep. So it's almost like a full circle equation that you're trying to fill in. And you never can say that I've done everything. Now, at some point you might say, I just, I've tried everything that I am willing to do. That's fine. But I think if we continue to ask questions, you're, you're going to find there's five, five to 10 things we all probably well, can Another see. thing too, for men and women, this is why strength training is so important once you hit age 50. What about four minutes a day? Four minutes a day. That's just, it's ridiculous. So I always tell people the number one benefit of movement, your movement of your body is what it does for your mind. But if you're talking about testosterone, that's why strength training is so imperative. And you can't do this in four minutes. You have to have a plan. And so we have a, I have a, a training program where I actually train each month differently. My intensity is different, so it stimulates my testosterone. So I'm not getting injured, but I'm keeping my testosterone level high. So when I work with people, I change their, instead of doing the three sets, the eight to 10 reps, the same stuff over and over, we might do the same workout, but we change the intensity each month. And that changing in intensity stimulates that testosterone. If you are overtraining, testosterone levels will go down. So hence, I've seen many people, they're working their tails off in the gym, but their testosterone level are going down because they're overtraining. So the it's body, really a fight. body's just trying to survive. So it's trying it's to survive. Grow. Stress hormones are on. All right, let's talk about these last two numbers, and we'll wrap this up as we're moving into the hour mark. Glomular filtration rate and uric acid. Let's, let's tackle uric acid real quickly. And again, without this is turned into a, we're, we're changing our know your numbers. I'm adding uric acid because nobody talks about uric acid until it hits about seven. And uric acid is a lifestyle. Something's going on in your lifestyle. Back in the days, it was the kings and queens. And if you hit seven, you're in pain. You're in lots of pain. This could be gout and the list goes on. Let's not wait till it turns into a train wreck. Anytime you get above five, five and a half, your uric acid is not moving in a great direction. And allopurinol and all these gout medications, they're so tough on the body. Again, everybody, again, this is a lifestyle number. But get your uric acid checked. Make sure it's hovering right around five, five and a half. But once it starts creeping up to six, we're moving in a bad direction. And then which kind of leads into our last one is this thing called EGFR, which is... So for uric acid, are we just trying to get more alkaline? Is that the key? You're trying to get more alkaline, yes. Less alcohol, less processed foods. Just move to the center. Move to the target, putting lemon in your water, you know, eating an apple, Foods high in greens. Getting off your carnivore diet. Get off the carnivore diet. So as you have an acid diet, leads to high uric acid levels. So your body can't, you're not, your body's not absorbing anymore. And now it's just spilling out. It's too much acidity. So it's not hard to change. It's relatively changed. And for those of you out there who want a quick symptom, is you just go get food grade baking soda, take one tablespoon, eight ounces of water. So that could be your alternative. Now, this is not fixing the problem. But you can understand baking soda is super alkalizing, which helps to relieve some of the symptoms of gout. But you change your diet around. And again, people don't want to hear this, but if you're drinking too much alcohol, too much soda pop, too much caffeine, it's, it, you're moving in that direction. And that's what we don't want. All right, and, last one. The last one is your kidney function. 
everybody, dialysis clinics are growing like crazy. We need to keep the kidneys nice and clean. Number one, you got to stay hydrated. That's the number one way to keep your glomular filtration rate, your kidneys function normally. Number two, anything high in antioxidants, colorful fruits and vegetables, beets, uh, carrots, celery, greens, apples. This all makes the kidneys function better. Daily movement. And one of the things that kills the kidneys is too much alcohol, too much soda pop. We talked about that, but protein powders, everybody. Let's let's get rid of these protein powders. I don't care if it's whey, protein, protein hemp, powder, creatine, creatine, multivitamins. These, these are killing. It's like putting sand in a radiator. So let's put <laughs> let's eat, consume that. less protein powders and start eating real live foods, and that's going to help your kidneys in, in general. Yeah, we're having way too much kidney problems. And again, that number you need to know your exact GFR number. So the doctors will say if it's over sixty, you're good. No, you need if you're forty, that number should be probably a hundred. And with your kidneys, so like kidney stones growing like crazy. Yes. Or, or you got things like your appendix removals. Gallbladder. Gallbladder. Mm -hmm. Again, these things are all. They're all connected. The spleen, the kidneys, the liver, the stomach. They're all. We need to work together as a team, but you need to keep these kidneys as clean as possible. And that really begins with water antioxidant foods, cut out the processed foods, the alcohol, and get rid of these protein powders. All right. We're almost to an hour, which is, which is perfect. And we could keep going, but I think this is a good amount of information for today. Part one, know your numbers. Part two, improve your numbers. We did a combination today because you need to know what questions to ask versus just always being told, hey, here's the steps and, to do. And remember, everybody, those blogs are at the, the bottom of the website. The know your numbers are on the downloads. The Rest Eat Move book goes into the weeds. So again, there's lots of resources out there, and you, you have our contact information on top of that. So we'll see you again next week. Remember that if we can ask some better questions, if we can start to think a little bit differently, we start to be the CEO of our own health, we can start to improve some of these numbers. Don't just know your numbers. Try to work towards improving your numbers. And we'll see you again next time. 